It's good to see you. Some of you have come back uh, from uh, vacation and we've seen the photos and uh, been envious. But now you're back here again and it's good to see you. And uh, as you come back, we leave. Thank you again for your kindness to uh, Jill and myself as we've been here. And uh, you get to stay a little long, actually, because it's hard to leave. If you only come for a week or two, you know your mind is set to keep going through. But um, uh, we're getting to like you. And uh, it's a bad thing, isn't it, really, when you have to now say that we're leaving and who knows where the future is. Um, five weeks ago we started and uh, the subtitle for what I was going to speak about is Preparation for a New Chapter at AIC. And I started by saying, uh, who is the greatest? And it's not a boxer, it's not a sports person, it's not a politician. Who is the greatest? There's one there and we looked at him and God said that very much uh, to our liking that God gave Jesus to be head over all things. And uh, if we weren't enough with that, he said, God says he fills all things. And then go a little further, God says in all things he will have the preeminence. So whatever we were going to say after that session would be based on that foundation that God is supreme. The Son of God is the one who is preeminent. He is the one that has the, the, is to be the object of all our worship and our praise, and while we look for a new person to lead us as a congregation, he is the servant of God, just as you and I are the servants of God also. And it's important that we understand that, that when we come to church, we focus on Jesus. We focus on the Son of God, the Word of God, the Spirit-led people that we are. And it's not going to depend, it's not going to stand or fall on the appointment of one person who we would call our senior pastor. Important as that may be, and as important and loved by you are the previous pastors, none of them was, and this one won't be either, the saviour. They lead us to the saviour, and they're equipped in ways that perhaps we are not, and they have uh, skills and they have abilities, but in the end they are the servants of God, just as you and I are too. So we must not fall into the ways of the world, when it comes to the way we operate our church. We think that, if we think, that programs and special events are the way we win favour with God, we're going to be sadly disappointed in the end. Because while these things may attract people for a while, may they, they may have some outward value, God says, no, we're not working like that. They're not re- they may be required in a worldly organisation. They are, in fact, required by every other religious organisation uh, uh, program that I know of, but they're not with God. And uh, the great example of that, of course, was the Apostle Paul, uh, who literally uh, had an encounter with God and was knocked off his horse. And uh, when he got up from that, uh, he realised that, humanly speaking, he may have had what we would consider every attribute to win favour with God, but he wrote to us and said, when I came to encounter God, I learned that those things were nothing in his eyes but trash, or even worse, stronger words are used there. And so we realise that God has done everything. Whoops, I went one too far there. No, I didn't. God has given him, done everything that is needed for us to carry on his work. And the one thing we do have from God is news. Uh, Sometimes we forget that. We think we have a great programme. We have a great choir. And all those things are are legitimate. 
But we, he says, no, no, I bring you good news. The gospel is news. And what do you do with news? You share it. And you spread it. And sometimes we get so excited about the methods uh, that we forget that that's what he wants us to do. The one thing that God has done for us, he's come to us and he's redeemed us by his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's made a way for you and I to become his children. And so then he says, don't keep it to yourself as if we would want to. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, part of the good news, a little part, but one that appeals to me is that this. Obeying a set of rules is not needed to win favor with God. And in our enthusiasm for God along the way, we've often introduced the idea that good works, the amount of money we give, the amount of time we spend, are all building blocks to win favor with God. The main thing is that God, through his Son, has come to us and made us his children. He's made a way for that to happen. And so we need to be careful we don't confuse principles with methods. And uh, the world has a lot of principles. Uh, particularly are they needed, I think, in areas like uh, finance and uh, health and education. There are rules. There are boys, uh, there are non-negotiable things in the way we operate and the way we uh, teach and uh, exercise. Pilots are another one. We want them to follow the principles and not do it their own way. But there are methods. Uh, there's a man called Warren Wearsby. You might have read some of his books. He writes Christian books. And he's got a little saying that I found helpful. Uh, methods are many. Principles are few. Methods will change, principles never do. And God has written in his book principles for us, for the way we come to him, for the way we serve him, and the way he operates in our lives. They are non-negotiable. The word of God would be one. The Bible is non-negotiable. It is the word of God. No questions. Now the methods we use to dispense, as it were, the word of God will vary. And uh, we see that particularly now that we hear it right now from one speaker. We learn it in discussions in small groups. We go online and there's a, a zillion opportunities to hear the word of God. And all we need to make sure is that what we are hearing is consistent with the word of God. But some of the methods we employ are, are negotiable. One where I grew up used to be the time of the service. For some reason, it had been declared that God wants us to meet at 11 a.m. And there's no other time. Well, we found out since that it's okay. God still shows up or God still leads and God still blesses, whether it's 7.30 in the morning or for students, 7.30 at night. Uh, it's just like that. So we need to be careful. The good, good news is not obeying a set of rules to win favor with God. He has favored us by coming to us and uh, dealing with our situation. He's done everything that is needed through the work of his son on the cross. All we need to do is accept this gift. Uh, I was, this came to me when I was watching or reading about the, the Football World Cup, was just recently, if you hadn't noticed, and uh, the nations of the world got together 
to declare who was the, or decide who was the greatest. And apparently football, that's the soccer version of it, uh, is the most watched or most played or most moneyed uh, evidence. So someone said to me, um, there's a lot of good videos on YouTube. Uh, you could look, and they gave me a link, and I linked. And here's a game of football, and there's a red-shirted team and a blue-shirted team, and it starts with the ball arriving at the foot of a red-shirted man. And uh, I've got to say, he's good. He starts to run with this ball and the right foot to the left foot to the right foot. He comes up against someone and goes round them. He's skillful, a little faster. He's running faster. He's going. He seems to be unstoppable. And he is because he just goes straight down there. He takes a brief look at the net, the goal, and he shoots that thing into the net. Wow. Raises his hands in victory. Looks around and drops his hand because he'd gone to the wrong end. He'd gone to his own team's end and shot the goal that way. And all that dramatic footwork, all that skillful uh, performance was nothing. He becomes a joke uh, and we make fun of him. And I just thought, as I read that, I said to me, how much time have you been kicking the ball the wrong way? You think you're impressive. You think your skills are good. You want to be noticed. You want to hear people you know, applaud your deal. But in God's sight, he's saying, stop. That's not the way. You're going the wrong way. And so we need to be careful. God says our good works and our best efforts on their own are not going to work. On their own, they are like going the wrong way. And they won't result in anything that will bring glory to God. Now, it does follow, uh, as God, God's love and God's blessing comes to us, we want to serve him, and we want to share the good news, not because we want to win favor with God, but because of our gratitude and our passion for the life that he's given to us. And so that's what Paul said. When he got up back on, I don't know if he ever went on a horse again, but when he went, he went with a different mindset. He came and he said, I want to know him. I want to become more like him. I want to understand who he really is and what he wants me to become. And so we are to follow him and to grow in the methods that he has given for us. So in this final session, I, I want to bookend. If he's the greatest at the beginning, I want to say he's the highest at the end. And the things that we do in between must not uh, fall outside the understanding of both of those things. The word is higher, and firstly, the Bible says, God says, of him. He's higher than the highest, and he's higher than the heavens, and he's also higher than the kings of the earth. So that's interesting for God to say that, because I go back into my Old Testament, and if I were to go to Ecclesiastes, I would find some writings there by one of the wisest men who ever lived, King Solomon. And... Uh, as he was looking at the history that he, he knew from the book of Genesis, wasn't there then, but from Father Abraham all the way through, he wrote what he thought. And what he thought was interesting to me. I've seen all things that are done under the sun, all of them are meaningless, the chasing of the wind. Now, is that the wrong cheese on the pizza, or what's causing that sort of attitude when he looks back at the life of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and, and so on? He made that statement with full knowledge of all the history. And he had seen what God had done. 
and who God was. And yet he comes and says it's meaningless, a chasing of the wind. And the, the book of Hebrews chapter 11 does not seem to disagree with that. By faith Abraham, when called to a place he had later received as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he didn't know where he was going. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. These people did not receive the things promised. They only saw them from a distance. Now see, Abraham's strength was his faith. And when God told him he would be the father of a great nation, he believed and he lived his life in that expectation. But at the end of the life, the promise was not fulfilled. And for all the generations that followed, they would live and die with the same outcome. And it seems to me that one of the key reasons for that was the God they worshipped and their method of worship kept God at a distance. To them, God was a fearful person. God was a, an angry person. God had a set of rules and they weren't methods, they were principles. You will do it this way. And it involved the killing of animals every day. You can appease God today, but at midnight it resets. And we have to appease him again tomorrow. So the life of the way uh, that they had to worship God kept them at a distance. Now, there's a promise that someone will come that will bring them to God in a closer way. And if it were us in our land, we would look for him on a private jet, I would think, and a motorcade. But someone shows up, a simple man, a looking, uh, uh, a poor man, and he makes some statements to them. I am greater than Abraham, he says. Your temple worship, I will replace all the temple worship. You imagine hearing that, greater than Abraham. He's our revered father of the faith. The temple is the holy place where we go to worship God. And we have this elaborate system and we honour it. And you say you're greater. Yes, I am. Greater than the prophets. Greater than Jonah. Look what Jonah did. He went through Nineveh and basically saved the whole city. Greater than Nineveh. And so there was this uh, problem for them to realise that this man is saying what you've been doing is preliminary. Now I'm going to bring to you the real thing. So when we gather up all the names of the men of faith, as recorded in Hebrews 11 or anywhere, all the patriarchs, all the priests, prophets, those who pleased God, who walked with God, who believed and obeyed God, we find that God has been pleased to give his son authority over all those and all those methods. And so meaningless and futile or futile can be changed now for us to meaningful and fulfilled as we allow God to overtake our mind and will. So you get the picture that before their God was far off and angry and needed appeasing. But now we are told we have a high priest who's been made higher than the heavens. And we so now have a high priest who turns his attention from sacrificing to serving. Unlike the Old Testament priests who had to carry on every day with this, he, we are told, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, sat down on the right hand of God, waiting until his enemies or his footsteps. That happened at Calvary on the cross. But I need to remind you that there'll be no repetition of Calvary. This uh, God has come to us 
in the Old Testament, Jacob in his dream sees a ladder going up to heaven. And the uh, insinuation there is that the way to get to God is to climb the ladder. But no, heaven has come down to us. We now have a high priest. Because he suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help us when we are tempted. So he's not looking to, for us to make favor with him. He's coming to favor us. And you know in this world there are temptations. He's able to help us when we're tempted. And yet there's more. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize or identify with our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way as we are, without sin though for him. So we can approach the throne of grace with confidence and receive mercy and find grace to help us. We're not afraid of God now. He invites us. He's waiting to be this saviour for us in our daily situations. And if we haven't had enough of that, we find that Jesus lives forever as a permanent priesthood. And therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Has a thought occurred to you that God is interceding on your behalf on the situations that you face? I had an email this morning from uh, an old friend from China. Well, he's a young man. But everything's gone wrong. His world has fallen apart. And uh, I went back and I said, well, you know, uh, no. Uh, God has taken care of the big things and now these are the small wrap-up things. We need to trust him, my friend. You know, dump it on me, but don't dump it on God. Go near to him and he will help you. Come to him because he lives to intercede for you. You don't have to go through the pastor. You don't have to go through a governing board. You go to God and or go through Jesus. Such a priest, we're told, is higher than the heavens. Of course, where I come from, we don't have many things happen in New Zealand. Small country, we live in awe of the Australians across the water who have everything, but we don't. (laughs) Uh, But one day my father woke me up, I was nine, and he didn't usually wake me up, he went to work before I did wake up. And he asked that rather silly question, are you awake, son? Well, I am now. And uh, the news was that uh, a man called Hillary had climbed Mount Everest for the first time. First time! Our man was higher than the highest. He had a Sherpa with him who'd probably been the key factor in that. But uh, so proud. So we looked at Australia and said, have you got a man who's climbed Everest? We have. And uh, everywhere we went, that was what we would say. We're from New Zealand. You know, Everest, climbed the mountain. That's all we had to say. Well, now this is what God could say about his son. Have you got a priest that's higher than the rest? I have. My priest, your priest now, our priest here, is higher than the highest. Christ is seated. Paul got onto this too and wrote, He's seated at the right hand of God in heaven, far above all authority, uh, power and dominion, and every title that can be given. No fake news here. God has placed all things under his feet appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And God chimes in in the psalmist and says, I will appoint my son the highest of the kings of earth. And uh, he writes to another, another psalmist, all kings will bow down to him. All nations will serve him. And if you want one more, it's Zechariah. And I, I rather 
like Zechariah. It's a good word, isn't it? You know, Zechariah. But you don't often went to church and didn't go to church and they say, turn to Zechariah. And I have the feeling that Zechariah was a bit sorry he'd been told to prophesy and nothing and he comes to God and says, well, I know you've got Malachi at the end because you want to pronounce judgment on all the, the priests and stuff. And that's pretty tough. Could you give me a word to put, just slide in before that, that's positive? And I don't know how that worked, but I like to think that God says, yeah, you write this, and this will be a great one. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day there will be one Lord, and his name the only name. Put that down. Seal it with that. So whatever is going on in your life, and you're wondering who's where and who's in charge, just know this. The Lord is king over the whole earth. And on the day there will be, seen to be, by everyone, one Lord and his name, the only name. So here we are this morning in a small room in a big city. Outside there, literally hundreds of thousands of people wandering around, uh, unaware, largely disinterested with what we're doing and who we are. Are we wasting our time? No. We're dealing with eternal things here this morning. The reality is we're engaged with the living one who's higher than anything or anyone who is or has been or ever will. Eternal things are on our hearts and we belong, each one of us, to the God of the universe who controls the past and the present, who set out for us his plans for the future, for the world and for us. He has a plan for each of us, plan for you, plan for me. He provided everything we needed for our relationship with him. He will not reject us. He won't leave us behind. He knows us intimately, so he knows what others don't. He's a God who knows our secrets. And better news is he keeps it to himself. He's not a gossip. But better than that still, knowing our secrets, he loves us and helps us and understands us. We're safe in his hands. And so we aspire to be the people that he wants us to be. And you, 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 I can say that with uh, clarity because that's why you came. You might have come to greet friends and do things, but you came to worship God. We sing about our desires, and haven't we sung about them today? Our God is greater, our God is stronger. We rejoice in that, Lord. And through the singing of our songs and the reading of his word, we declare and we acknowledge and we stand with what he says about himself. And so we pray and we tell him what we think about him and how we want to love him and serve him. We have aspirations for a lot of things, but we have aspirations to be more like God. His name, the only name. And we're sincere. I know we're sincere. I know you are sincere. But the fact is, most of the time, I'll use myself, but I have a feeling you, you have to agree, I fall short of my aspirations. I, I, I really want to be who he wants me to be, but I don't. And I think the reason is, somewhere along the line, there's a voice that says, you're not worthy of this. You're not good. You're not who you think you are. And so you better try harder. And I try harder. And as it were, I hold on when God says, let go. And I fail to be where he wants me to be all the time. And I think we want to be careful now as we come back to the church structure that we don't lay on a new pastor the burden of being 
the one to go to for every problem, the one who knows best and we don't know anything, the one who's going to do all the hard work while we just applaud, we come and give ourselves as God wants us to give ourselves and the way that he sees us. And this is um, almost embarrassing because it's so simple. A long time ago, I graduated high school real long time ago, small country town. I think there were all of 20 of us in the graduating class. And so the, good, bad, the bad news is we had no impact, but the good news is that everybody and the bad news is they everything knew about us. So they, they did that. And so I was about to go to the big city and further my study and a career. People came by the house and wished us well. Mr. Stewart came. And Mr. Stewart and I uh, have a a different relationship. When I was very young, for some reason, she had chickens that grew eggs, produced eggs that my mother bought off her. And so I was, went round to Mrs. Stewart's regularly to pick up, only bring four eggs back, because there's four of us. Why don't we get eight, and then I don't have to go back tomorrow? Well, the reason, of course, was that Mrs. Stewart wanted to talk to me about life. And as it moved on, Mrs. Stewart, after Sunday service, was a bit of a problem because she would catch me going out and want to talk to me about girls uh, and reading my Bible. So Mr. Stewart comes and we settle in for a long conversation, but no, she wishes me well and gives me $5. And then she said, now I've got this uh, little printed copy. It's a poem that a friend of mine picked up. I think they might have written it. And I find it very helpful. Maybe you will too. So I... uh, read the words, thanked her, but put them in a box never to be seen again because they meant nothing. I spent the $5 and that was good. So some years later when life had turned against me and uh, God wasn't there and I didn't think he cared for me, I came across these words and they're embedded now in my world and in my thoughts. As I walk with the Lord, they give me assurance and so I pass them on to you, and uh, I don't, uh, don't apologize for their simplicity because they're so helpful to me. I don't look back. God knows the fruitless efforts, the wasted hours, the sinning and regrets. I leave them all with him who blots the record and graciously forgives and then forgets. I don't look back. He's dealt with the past. But then neither do I look forward because God knows all my future, The path that he has for me, whether it's short or long, will lead me home to him. But what I really want to know is this. He will face with me its every trial and bear with me the burdens that may come. And that's perhaps a word for you, that you're looking for a better future, if only. If only my husband, my spouse, my wife would would treat me better. If only my children would behave like their children. If only I had a better job. If only my boss was understanding. If only, if only. Well, I can tell you the answer. Because it's not if only, because all you need is only him. He will face with me. It's every trial and bear with me the burdens that may come. We look to him. He's our sufficiency. You know, we sing about it. So many songs, you're listening to it. You know, wonderful, beautiful, powerful name. On oceans deep, when I might fall, you'll lift me up. But it's so hard to move from singing it to enacting it. And so it's taken me a while. But I go that way first now. He will face with me its every trial 
He does. He bears with me the burdens. And the burdens are much lighter if they're taken off me. So I don't look back. I don't look forward. Where on earth can I look? I look up into the face of Jesus. Because I turn my eyes on him and there my heart finds rest. My fears are stilled. There's joy with him and his light overcomes darkness. I find perfect peace and every hope fulfilled. Simple words. Too simple. You might say to me, you did better with the $5 than the value of these words. Uh, Well, I beg to differ. Because my Bible tells me that the reality is that Jesus said, unless you become like little children. So we're not looking for the highest academic to lead us. We're looking for a man of God who can model for us, amongst other things, a childlike faith, and we can follow that. Now, childlike faith comes easy to us when we're here because we, every night about sunset, we go down to the promenade just beyond here and it's alive. It's alive with kids that have been uh, boxed up all day and are now out there running their energy off. There's scooters and there's all sorts of uh, mechanised equipment and toys uh, and not, not always with little kids, but it's the little kids that uh, catch our attention we would say somewhere between four and eight years. They can ride little scooters at high speed and they can manipulate in between the crowds and, come, and they come close. We sit on some of those chairs, there, benches, we sit there. And they notice us and we apparently look a little different from most of them. And so they weave in to show us and they, they, they can even do sort of things like this on their scooter. And they're looking to be noticed. And so we notice. And Jill, my wife, she's the excellent one on this. So she'll make eyes or do whatever. And there's a little routine. If you're a boy, you'll get a high five. But if you're a little girl looking nervously around your mother's skirt, suddenly you're out there and she's having her dress or her shoes or her hair admired. And so, you know, over five weeks we've been here, for goodness sake, and we're, we've become a sort of a, a permanent. And so now they're our friends and they wander and now they see that after all this they start to ask questions. And uh, that's what little children do. And the questions my mother would have said, they're impertinent, Uh, they're too personal. But little children don't care. Little children ask them, why do you speak so weird? Why don't you have hair on your head? Why are you white? You know, some of these questions, and they want an answer. I could give them some answers, but that's what God says we're to be like. Be impertinent with God. Go and say, God, I say this, and I've said it many times as a pastor when I've got a, a, a memorial service or a burial for a, a small child. The question I know is, why did God take my child when I follow him and he didn't take their child who disregard him? And those are the questions that come to you and me in the night. And God says, ask the question. Don't be afraid. Come to me and be yourself in my presence. I love you. Don't, don't, don't quite quote Greek words at me. There, there's a place for Greek words. There's a place for, for, for knowledge. But in the lonely place, the quiet place, God wants, he'd like to see a six-year-old mind, inquisitive mind, asking questions.
questions. You see, God wants to release you to be all that he intends you to be. The one who is the highest of the high knows your name and circumstances. He doesn't necessarily want your good works or your money or your time. He wants first your heart. He wants you to know him at a deeper level. He wants to help you through your temptations and failures. So I say, leave the past with him. He's dealt it. Leave the future with him. He has planned it for you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Say yes to everything he offers. Uh, when the new man comes, he'll have the credentials. He'll be wanting to join you and come among you. Don't elevate him to a place where you think makes him higher and you lower. Him closer to God and you further away. Don't do that. Key, this is not a competition. There's only one who's the greatest, only one who's the highest. The rest of us submit, bow down, and offer who we are. And that's enough for God. And he accepts you as you are. A successful pastor will lead us, but he will lead from among us, and not above us or on top of us. Together we will grow in our understanding and appreciation of what our Lord has done and is doing in us. He came down. We have no, no need to start climbing in order to find. He values you as you are, no more or less than any comparison you may make with others. Come, just as you are. If it's a high five, give him a high five. If it's an impertinent question, send it along. Because more likely it won't be a high five, but it'll be a hand that cares, accepts, heals, forgives. From the highest place, he says, come to me. If you're weary and sad, if you're burdened down with life's issues, come to me. And I will give you rest. I'm approachable. I'm lovable. I see you as lovable, forgivable, changeable. And he wants us to see ourselves and each other, by the way, as that. So take courage. He has great plans for you as a church. He sits on top and uh, he rules from on high. He knows you intimately. He cares for you. Don't be afraid. Join this community to find that help in a greater way, in a caring way. And keep doing what you do. Keep being who you are. Keep loving Jesus. Keep hating sin. But still look both ways before you cross the road because we're in a world where things can happen. And God will lift you up and draw you closer. And you will honour him as you come closer to him. Thanks for having us come and share in your lives and you sharing in ours. And uh, I know with confidence that your leadership is going to follow God. There are hard decisions. What if the candidate comes and there's not the sense that this is a calling of God? It takes courage to say no, but the, the, the leaders will do it. If God's will is not for this man to be here, the last person you want here is this man. But if God's call is for this man to be here, there's no other man you want. And I say, not to put up, but to come and join. And he will 
guide you and you all together grow as a community. God bless you. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your presence among us. We rejoice as we recall everything. We declare that there's no other God like you. And we would want to say your faithfulness is great. Your mercy is high as the heaven. Day by day, your morning blessings have been there. Summer and winter, springtime and harvest, pardon for sin and a peace that endures. Wow, we are, we are blessed because the God who's higher than the highest has sent his son to come and live in us. And this triune God that we don't quite understand, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now resident within our life, so the life, the power, but also the peace and the understanding that comes from you can come to us. We talked one Sunday about water that will never thirst again. And so with that lady, we want to call out, Lord, give us this water. We want to hear Peter going under, because perhaps we are too. And we don't give fairy tale language, we just say, Lord, save me. And if we're forgotten and lonely and wondering where he is, all it needs, Lord, remember me. And he will do that. And he will call us. And he will mold us. He will deepen us, refine us, humble us, and make us into the people he wants us to be, step by step. There will be pain, as we've talked about. And sometimes it takes greater pain to have greater blessing. Sometimes we need to let go when we want to hold on. We can trust you, and we will for the days that go ahead. Bless this church. Give wisdom and understanding and courage to the leadership. Give responsibility to each person who names your name and calls this their spiritual home. The responsibility to carry your name out there should be marked by grace and mercy, forgiveness and love. Help us to emulate. We aspire to be like Jesus. And only you can do that, and our own strength will mess it up. But as we submit to you, you will come, and you will guide us, and your name will be glorified, and everything we need, we will find rest in. So we don't live in the past, and we don't plan for the future in detail. We leave it with you, but we turn our eyes on you. And the things of, world, of the world will go strangely dim in light of your glory and your grace. So be it today, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.